Hello again, biathlon fans, and welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. We have had a full lineup of podcasts already this season. Did you listen to the episode with the new U.S. Biathlon National Team member, Campbell Wright? If not, check out Kiwi in America today. And in our last episode, world champion and now high performance director, Lowell Bailey, took a look at the future of U.S. Biathlon. With the season just about to get underway, today we're taking a look at the new total ban on fluorocarbons in waxing products. After several years of buildup, the era of fluoro-induced speed is over. U.S. Biathlon's national team manager, Fede Fontana, is one of the most highly respected waxing technicians in the world. An Italian native, he grew up in the shadow of where fluorocarbons in wax evolved over 40 years ago. But while serving a major role in the wax cabins of every national team, fluoros were harmful to the environment and also to the human body. So this year's ban will take them off the shelves and off skis. It's a pretty complicated process, but Fetty feels the U.S. biathlon team is ready. Indeed, it is also a controversial topic. At the International Ski Federation, which is also enforcing a similar ban, there has already this season been a disqualification of a top alpine ski racer, leading to questions and controversy. Now let's learn more about the new ban on fluorocarbons in biathlon with Fetty Fontana on this episode of Heartbeat. The season is just a short time away. Things will be kicking off here shortly with the IBU World Cup and the IBU Cup competitions. We're going to talk today about fluorocarbons and uh, where that rule stands in the sport right now. And with us, uh, Federico Fontana, welcome back to Heartbeat. I think last time we saw you, uh, we were over in Antholz in the wax room. Exactly. Hi, Tom. Good to see you. You're right. Last time we were in uh, our waxing cabin in Antholz and... Uh, yeah, we shared a good talk there, and I'm happy to be here today and take part of this new episode of Heartbeat. Cool. We're going to talk about fluorocarbons in a minute, but uh, the World Cup season is right around the corner. Uh, any thoughts going into the season? How's the preparation been? The preparation has been good during the summer. Uh, if you remember, as I told you, how we worked during the off-season, so from springtime, summer, and fall, we have been uh, really active with my team uh, of, of the ski service. Uh, we have been on snow on a regular basis at least one time per month, and uh, the ski selection went pretty well, and all the other projects made really big step forward. Of course, this season, as you most of our the people that are listening knows, we were we are gonna through a radical change in the boxing uh, world. Because for starting from this season, we are going to go to a complete fluor ban. This means that uh, all the waxes containing uh, fluorocarbon, in particular the PFOA, uh, are not allowed anymore in any level of competition. So a lot of the work this summer was also based on uh, testing some of the new waxes, fluor-free, of course, but also big part of the work was with the cleaning and taking care of the equipment that we used in the past that you, that we want to keep using this means like decontaminating all the equipment that we have and replace the equipment that of course is better to to replace to not run in any risk so it was a very intense and uh, busy summer 
and for the ski technicians. That's crazy because I hadn't thought about that, but you really, I mean, you have it on all of your, your, your equipment. So you've got to do something with that. So I never thought about all of that work that went into it. It's not just changing the wax. It's changing all the gear. Yeah, exactly. It's not just about changing the wax. If was just this, would be no problem, or at least it would be a problem from the financial side, but this we are going to face it anyway, because we need to restock from zero all the waxes uh, supply that we have. But like you said, uh, there are ski bags, wax boxes, and all this stuff that needs to be cleaned really uh, well, because the contamination risk is pretty high. This means that we went through every ski bag, the ski clips will be replaced. But we tried, of course, especially to stay environmentally friendly, for example, to clean as much stuff that we can. For example, the ski bags, as you can understand, would be bad to to throw away a lot of ski bags that are still working pretty well. So we found the way to to clean them and decontaminate this and the ski bags, same for the boxes. But of course, there are a lot of tools that needs to be replaced and uh, we need to buy them new because, for example, the brushes or some roto fleece or this stuff that everyday use uh, working tools is for me a risk to say, okay, we try to clean them, but then we can incur in problem when preparing the skis with those tools. So there are things that uh, it's possible to clean them, but other is better to to replace. Let's go back to kind of the beginning and and talk about how Floros initially got in wax. What did they do? And you have spent your entire career in the ski preparation business. How did this begin and what impact have Floros had on ski preparation? Yeah, the Fluor waxes has been since the early 80s, so particularly in between the 80s and the 90s the fastest waxes on the market. Uh, I don't remember if we talked about it during the episode we recorded in Antols, but I told you probably the story of one of these waxing pioneers from my hometown, Frasinoro, Paolo Manfredini, that unfortunately passed away years ago uh, from cancer. Uh, He was one of the first and probably the first one recording to uh, newspaper articles and uh, so on that brought the fluor and the Sera, Sera F, in this case, to the ski world. So Paolo was, let's say, in between the 80s and the 90s, the Italian Federation was looking for this magic to apply under the skis to to, <laughs> to have uh, faster skiers. And Paolo was, got, got in touch with uh, a big chemical industry in Italy and with the engineer that was working in this company. They brought this product to him and uh, they wanted to test, but somehow the Federation was, didn't really want to, to get into it. So a few years later or, or a season, I don't remember really the, the dates or whatever, but a big company from Norway went to Paolo and uh, they asked him about this powder that uh, he discovered with this company. And from there, they got in touch with the, this engineer, with this company, and this was the beginning of the fluor uh, era. So I think the one of the first time that was used under the skis was at the Olympic in Calgary in 1988. Uh, and this was, yeah, like I said, the beginning of 
the, the fluor here. Since then, there have been development, new products, and all these kind of things that you can understand. And yeah, fluor was always the magic under the skis. So, of course, it's not just about waxes. There are many things that uh, bring a ski to be fast. But let's say, except for certain condition where you don't need so much fluor, for example, for very cold condition, the fluor was always the, the one that you wanted under the ski and made the ski faster, basically. So was it really a component of speed? Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say that it made the difference, if this is uh, your question. It really made the difference, and uh, all the companies focused their production on this on this kind of uh, chemical components. We know about the risk and uh, for the for the health of the people that work with the fluor. Uh, Paolo Manfredini ex- is a good example. So he died for lung cancer, and so I think that probably can be recalled to to the use of these things where the protection that they used to to have was not so so big you know now we can use huge masks with very strong filters but probably 30 years ago was not really and they didn't know probably that was dangerous but also the fluor as we know is also dangerous for the nature because it's is a chemical component that it stays in the nature so if we this is a big topic and uh, it would take probably hours to go through but we can to to make it easy we can bring it almost close to the microplastic that uh, are left in the nature and the water of our ocean. To go to go back to the to the product itself, what was the chemical reaction of sorts or what what was happening on the basis of the skis that with this chemical allowed the skis to go faster? Was it was it uh, a, a binding effect with the other waxes or was it just a less friction? Is a combination, of course. You know, if you talk about friction, it's not just about the wax. It's a combination in between the point of contact that you have from the base of the ski and the snow. And, uh, you know, to make a wax faster, there are different variables. So, for example, the hardness of the, the wax, the components, the chemicals that are in the wax. So it's not just a wax that makes the ski fast, of course, because you need many combination of like i said from the from the ski quality from the right wax for the right condition so is a mix of these things uh but of course you know like the fluor itself is uh, hydrophobic so as you understand for very wet condition where the level of humidity in the snow is pretty high the higher is the hydrophobic effect the better it is so is uh this is a little bit how it works Having spent that time with you in the wax room, and I've always loved going into wax rooms, there's so much magic that goes on in there. And I know in your mind, you've got all these chemical concepts and so forth that are far beyond what we could understand. You can't use fluorose this year, so it's better for the environment, it's better for the health of the technicians. So how will you compensate that? Is there is there, Are there different techniques that you can use in the ski preparation? Are teams going to be looking for new solutions where do, you, where do you see this going this year? With the fluor ban taking place uh, officially, uh, this was from IBU, the official uh, press release and the decision came, I think, a couple of weeks after the World Cup final in Oslo. And this showed, again, that the IBU is uh, really on top of things and uh, 
they want to, you know, keep the national federation and the members, you know, informed and part of the of the process. Uh, this meant for us, for example, for the planning and the strategies, big thing. So when I was planning already during the winter, because we knew that this band was coming, I decided to, for our team and for uh, with our ski technician, to switch the focus on also other sectors of the ski preparation. Uh, as I told you in Antos last, last year, there is the grinding uh, system, the hand structure system. So these are things that, in my opinion, are even more important right now. Why? Uh, the reason why these sectors are very important right now is that we are waiting for new waxes and, of course, for the new magic products to come. But probably it's going to take a few years before the substitute of the fluor, if there is a substitute for the fluor in terms of performance to find. So we need to push harder in these sectors where the waxing, the wax is not involved. So this will make a difference. But of course, you need to keep it up also on the wax side because you want to find products, more and more products. But as you, as you understand, a lot of the companies come now with, out with the, the new products and uh, we decided not to push too hard and taking or testing all what the markets offer, but try to target step by step because we are, first of all, we, we don't have a, a huge service team. We have very good and uh, professional uh, ski technician, but we don't have, for example, 20 technician that can work outside of the competition. So this was a little bit, was a little bit the goal, try to target and keep the focus on all the areas of the ski preparation uh, at the same level, but differentiating a little bit uh, like a periodization, like in the training, for example. So I made a plan, a long-term plan for all the projects we are running, focused to from now till the Olympic 2026. Do you have relationships with the different wax providers and are there any that you like to use for particular reasons or you try to just look at what everyone has in their line? First of all, let's say you need to have most of the the brands because maybe you have one brand that works just one time per year, but uh, that time per year you need it. So, of course, we want to have from the companies that we rely the most their product. But we also have a few corporations, so we can access to good waxes with those uh, companies where we cooperate the most and share feedbacks. So this can give us an advantage. So as we look ahead to the season, it's like with any rule, rules are only good if everyone abides by the rules. So I know that enforcement has to be a big part of this. What does IBU have planned for enforcement to check the skis, to check the equipment, to make sure that fluoros are not appearing out there? The IBU is working on the development of the fluor ban and the devices to use to test since a few years, we all know that there was a postponement and the postponement was because the device was not ready yet. But what the IBU did was creating right away a working group with technician. So ski technician, we were 
involved in the development and in all this process. They create a core technician group and uh, Team USA, US Biathlon was represented there. So this is a big honor for us because I was in this working group. I'm still in this working group since the beginning. And uh, just to, to give you an idea, nations like Norway, France, Germany are in this in this working group. So Germany, uh, Germany, Norway, France, Sweden, and United States of America. So a leaders, uh, leader working group and US biathlon, the small with the big, the cooperation went really well. So we showed since the beginning that the willingness to, to go in the same direction and uh, IBU listened to us, you know, because they know that we are the one that works. And from our side, we we show that we are open to listen to the science because we were talking with the engineers that developed this machine. So the cooperation is really good from this side. Uh, just a quick thing about the device. The device is a, is a FTIR R machine. So it works with the infrared and it can read the base. The IBU, uh, prepared a protocol for the season for the racing not just for workup but for every single level of competitions the ski every single pair of ski will be tested before the start so every starter starter or a ski technician or a team member has to we have to deliver the skis to this testing station close by the starting area at least 30 minutes before the start so if you start with the number 25, you need to bring the skis for starter number 25, 30 minutes before the start. From that moment, we are not allowed to touch the skis anymore. They will be taken care of by the EBU. The ski will be tested and the athletes will get the skis in the start pit two minutes before the start. And it will be the only one that can see the ski before the start. So very short before the start, they put the skis under the feet and they go to the gate. So this will be the procedure. And after the race, the skis will be tested again. This will be a test mostly to check the contamination you can have during the, during the race, the skiing on, uh, on the snow outside. And uh, there is the possibility that the ski, when it goes to the start, get tested and get a red light. The red light means that the ski is not prepared with fluor-free waxes. And this means no start. So this creates a few challenges for you as a technician. I mean, number one, your timeline is different now, isn't it? Yeah, we need to we need to adapt for sure our work work uh, schedule for the day and to be really efficient, especially when we have changing weather condition. This is going to be the biggest challenge. Also to adapt to the new way of working. But uh, this is uh, this is the way it goes, and uh, we really want to, you know, go in the direction for a fluor-free era, and we want to have all the athletes to the start. So we need to work hard, and especially paying attention, and because the contamination is a risk and uh, can happen, you know. But we need to build up our confidence. But I feel really confident that with the work we did this summer we are going to be ready for the beginning of the season. And uh, I hope that everything will be smooth and go well. But it's going to be for sure a bumpy season. 
Yeah, it's interesting to get this explanation of it. And I know that this has been going on for a while, and there's been dialogue with FIS relative to cross-country. That rule also goes into place, I believe, this year for um, the International Ski Federation, right? Yes, I is also for uh, FIS, so cross-country and uh, the FIS disciplines. They also have the ban, but honestly, I don't know how FIS dealt with it, and I, I really don't have an answer. I cannot explain how they how they will do. So it's another family. That's okay. We'll just we'll just pay attention to our work. Uh, thank you so much for this explanation. I'm going to close it out with our on-target section and just a few fun questions for you. Uh, you live in a great mountain village in Frazzanoro in Italy. What's a fun thing for you to do when you're back in the summertime and you're not preparing skis? Yeah, just like, like you know, uh, road biking is my biggest passion. So road biking is, as soon as I have time, I jump on my road bike and I go. And I, I had Lowell Bailey on the podcast uh, a short time back, and I asked Lowell, what was the toughest thing that he did athletically in the last year? And he just laughed a little bit, and he says, you need to ask Fede. So what did you do that was crazy this summer? <laughs> okay, I am going to talk with him. This is not fair. But now, nah, anyway, this summer, I fulfilled a big goal that I had. As you know, I live since many years in uh, in Germany, in Bavaria, in Ruppolding, near Ruppolding. And uh, I had last year the idea to ride my bike non-stop from Sigstorf, the place where I live in Germany, to Frasinoro. So 570 kilometers without stopping overnight in a hotel, just start and taking short breaks, but to make it in one day. So the 12th of August, is, I called it the Tour de Fede, as a U.S. biathlon friends of us named it, and I took it because I loved it. So I was able to complete this Tour de Fede. In the end, came out with 590 kilometers and just a few minutes under the 24 hour. That's amazing. And you won. Now it was just a personal challenge. It was just, <laughs> but yeah, it's a personal victory. Let's let's call it like this. It was amazing, yeah. Fetty, thank you for joining us on Heartbeat. Great to hear that story and wish you all the best of luck in the season. It's right ahead. Thank you, Tom. Nice to talk to you again and uh, keep following Team USA Biathlon. Well, it is clearly a complex issue. And thanks to Fetty Fontana for the history of fluorocarbons and the direction for the future as the ban takes place this season. Next on Heartbeat, we'll catch up with Olympian Maddie Fanoff, who is now making her pathway in the sport as a coach. Heartbeat is brought to you by U.S. Biathlon and its dedicated team of sponsors. A special thanks to Aaron's The King of Snow, Maloya outfitting the U.S. Biathlon team, and Paul Smith's College offering education and sport training in the heart of New York's Olympic region. And a shout out to all of U.S. Biathlon sponsors, including Maloya, Aaron's, Paul Smith's College, Auto Aider, Lapua Ammunition, Rain, Pure Mountain Spring Water, and Polar Beverages. That's it for this episode of Heartbeat. If you can, give us a review or hit the favorite button so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes as we continue to tell the stories of the people behind U.S. Biathlon. I'm Tom Keller, your host for Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. We'll see you again soon.